Welcome to The Vagicians. And we're here for you, the typical female, answering your not-so-typical questions women have about their health and well-being. Our panel of in-the-trench OBGYN experts includes Dr. Roslyn Mallory, Dr. Jacob Martin, and Dr. Sam Wolfe, who don't shy away from the challenges of female health today. We'll discuss everything from babies to menopause, periods and breasts, and everything in between. The Vagicians podcast is brought to you by Wolf Variety Entertainment and made possible by All About Women OBGYN, the Healthy Start Program, Emerald Coast Obstetrics and Gynecology, and the Panama City Surgery Center. Let's jump right in and jam with our team of Vagicians, Dr. Mallory, Dr. Martin, and Dr. Wolf. Here's our host, Rayanne Kruger. Welcome to The Vagicians. This is Rayanne Thorn-Kruger. I am very excited about this episode. And if you listen to the last one, you kind of know what it's about. We're going to be talking about what today, guys? Sex. <laughs> sex. What's that episode? What's that? This is the sex episode. The sex episode. So happy to have back with me, Dr. Rosalind Mallory. Hey, Dr. Mallory. Hey. And Dr. Jacob Martin. Hi, Dr. Hey, Martin. Guys. Hey, And Dr. Sam Wolf. Hey, Dr. Wolf. Hello. Great Welcome. to have you back. Oh, so good to have these conversations with you. I personally have learned so much and I always come to this with a big, huge, giant piece of luggage of my own experience as a mom of four, having four completely different births, having had my own bout with a little bit of possibly cervical cancer, all these different things that have impacted my life that made this an interesting topic for me, the everything that has to do with the female body. So we're going to dive in right now to talk about sex. And this, I'm going to tell you right now, is going to be part one, because there's no way we can talk about everything in one episode, especially one half hour or less episode. So let's jump in. I want to talk about normal, everyday sex. What is that? What is normal, everyday sex? Is there such a thing? I mean, that's whatever you do regularly. What's normal to some might be a little bit Fifty Shades of Grey for others. (laughs) So it just depends on the person. That's right. I have an interesting conversation with my daughter. She was telling me something and I kind of made a face, something sexual she told me and I made a face and she said, mom, don't yuck somebody else's yum. And it really, it really hit me. I thought, oh, that's really important because it may not be something I would enjoy or be comfortable doing. But if somebody else is, that's none of my business. Right. I've been doing this, I guess, the longest out of this this wonderful panel. It's doing what? OB, OBGYN. Oh, I sex. I would, I would wager both. I would have sex with anybody here. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I met practicing gynecology. Okay, good. All right. But, but I'll tell you that it just over the years, I've had a few times where a patient would surprise me and say something that, but it, I would say for the most part, you hear enough and you, you see that the, the, you learn that the spectrum of normal is actually quite vast. Mm-hmm. And I will tell you, when you look at studies on this, when they say, when is sexual dysfunction? When does it become a disease or when is it an abnormal pathologic problem? And I think I mentioned even this in a previous episode that there's a normal decline as we age as human beings. And this is just across the board. There are patients, I have 70, 80 year old patients that are hornier now and having more sex now than they did 20, 30 years ago. Wow. Yeah, it is. STDs, I'm telling you. Exactly. Yeah. That has the highest STD rate. Yeah. Some of the bigger retirement communities in Florida have had, have had some problems with that. Wow. But I guess when you see that normal 
gradual decline in, in most patients, it really becomes a problem when one person's sexual desire declines at a much more rapid rate than the other partner. And that puts marital problems, relationship problems, can cause depression, it can cause feelings of inadequacy and things like that. And so I think that's where we deal a lot with. And I think that's where therapists really come into as a a valuable tool, Uh, particularly there are sexual counselors, there's marital counselors that have secondary uh, experience to sexual counseling. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So as we continue on the theme of don't yuck somebody else's yum, let's talk about fetishes. Tell us what some fetishes are. I mean, I know I've heard of a foot fetish, but what are some other fetishes? I guess a, f- a fetish is any any situation where a person finds a particular arousal I- or idea that brings them sexual arousal. And there okay. can be, I'm not a fetish expert, but I've seen some pretty weird ones over the over time. But I would tell you, most of our patients will not admit things like fetishes. Young. I'm not. I'm not. But I would tell you, I don't think most patients will tell me they're fetishes. Okay. Those are personal things. And I think as long as the fetish doesn't cause, you know, damage or like like we discussed in other things with foreign bodies being stuck in the vagina right, and things right. like that, as long as it doesn't put the patient at risk for that, I say, hey, to each his own, do what you want. Okay. And especially if they're consenting and you meet somebody that like that's their thing, thing. Yeah. Knock yourself out. I mean, there's pretty much a fetish for everything in the world. Right. And so it's normal. It's healthy. Yes. Okay. All right. Let's talk about kegels. After you have a baby... Or even before, they'll they'll tell you that this will make this will tighten up your vagina and make sex much more. I don't know who talks like that, but it seemed like seemed like funny at the time. <laughs> well, we Kegel exercises first of all are conscious muscular contractions. These are contractions that you can do yourself. These aren't like uh, subconscious contractions. For example, your bowels and all kinds of things uh, are moving without you having to think about it. These are actually conscious contractions okay, that you okay. can do with your pelvic muscles to both strengthen its and develop neurologic control when it comes to things like urination and, and whatnot. Now, we educate patients a lot, I think pretty much on a daily basis. Every patient that comes in that I see for an annual, whether they're young or old, well, I guess once they're in the late 20s to 30s, that's the point where I'm pushing it. So you need to learn how to do this. I Try to tie it to something you're doing every day, for example, like brushing your teeth or sitting in a red light in your car. You should be doing Kegel exercises. And if you, just the best way to verbally explain what a Kegel exercise is, is I'll tell patients, I'll say, look, imagine you're sitting on a toilet in a public bathroom and you're going number two and somebody's walking in and you don't want them to hear you make noise when you do number two. What do you do? You shut everything shut down. Shut everything tighten down. Tighten all of those muscles. Those are the muscles and the muscular contractions we're talking about when we say do, doing a Kegel. Some people, okay. even with that that model, can't really consciously do it. And those patients actually will benefit from pelvic floor therapy, which we've talked about in the past, which is using ele- electrodes and things like that and biofeedback to teach the patient how to do those contractions. And even now, there are plenty of apps out there that basically mm. is you can use and it you can set timers okay how many kegels you want to do and it basically walks you through it okay hey, we'll, we'll list some of those in the bio of the show here because that's that would be really interesting for many women who are going to have that question this is kind of where i think the the jade egg where they were trying yeah. to go made the jade egg was that you mean the yanni eggs the yanni egg the jade egg exactly so needs a life something to concentrate on. You can tell me eight yeah. days to Sunday, contract, but they need something to contract around. Exactly. So the whole oh, thought okay. Was, you put it in the vagina, but you have a string attached to it so you can get it back. Okay. 
that. This is very, very important. You Because <laughs> this is you can easily lose this up there. Okay. As so we've you learned, make sure you're able to retrieve it, but you put it in the vagina, and essentially you're contracting your pelvic floor muscles to try to hold it in place. Which you're essentially doing the same thing as Kegel exercises, but you the, the idea was to use these different objects as kind of like a training tool to tighten the or not tighten, but to strengthen the pelvic floor. Mm-hmm. Okay, so they work. And are they going to also help with incontinence? Absolutely. They oh, can help. You can get about a 20 to 30% decrease, decrease. Okay. in urine leakage. And it also can be extremely helpful with patients that have overactive bladder. Okay. And, and it doesn't really fix the underlying problem of overactive bladder. But what it allows the patient to do is develop the control to get to the bathroom. It gives them a little more time. And I'll tell patients a lot of times, you know, hey, when you, if you have overactive bladder, what I want you to do, if you're running to the bathroom and you got to get there and you, you sit down to go to the bathroom, oh, I actually want you to hold it another 20 seconds. Mm. I want you to count to 20 before you pee. Try to do that. Try to get in the habit of that. And that actually helps the patient develop oh, control. That's, that's a good idea. We're gonna we're definitely going to talk about incontinence and UTIs and, and that whole side of it in a future episode as well. Uh, Dr. Mallory, were you going to add more there? I was going to say one more thing. Oh, okay. I, that the importance is it's kind of like doing curls. If you do curls, your muscle is going to grow. But if you stop doing it, your muscle is going to atrophy. Same thing with these exercises. If you stop doing these exercises, your symptoms will come back over time because right. that, that muscle is atrophying. Okay, so is there a way to time it so both partners actually have an orgasm at the same time? That goes in line with like the tantric sex. I can't speak to that. I don't know much about that. But I'm sure you could probably look it up online. <laughs> I would tell you, I would tell you that's it's also, you know, just like you could every relationship of every person that's been with a person for a very long time. You can remember the very first time you had sex and then you've been together 10, 15, 20 years and what sex is like now. You actually will develop, you'll you'll understand that that person's needs and wants right. and things that can make that person uh, orgasm and you'll be able to time that. That's just okay. You know, and I, I tell that to the young listeners out there that may have bombed it on their first time, which, sure. I, I, you know, everybody does a little bit. Everybody I'm, does. I'm, I'm, I'm getting it right. over. Anyway, <laughs> but there's other things, too. And there, there'll be where patients, this is a more common problem where patients have been together a long time. And the patient will say, I used to be able to orgasm right when he did. No problem. And he's doing the same things. And now I just can't quite get there. Mm-hmm. And. Once again, we'll look at medications and things like that. The classic culprit of those are, are antidepressants, SSRIs. These are like your Zoloft, Prozac, things like that. And then, but then, well, look, sometimes it's, there's none of that involved, and there's some things that can be done for that. One one little thing that's available over the counter. I don't know if I've mentioned this before or not in the in the podcast, but there's these little rings, and they're sold typically in the condom section. And you look there, and actually Trojan makes them. And they have a little vibrator at the top. So it's a ring that goes on the penis and it's got a little vibrator at the top and it's got a little button on the side and it's got like six or seven different modes where it'll vibrate at different things. And I'll tell patients, look, that's try some different things. You can try one of these things, put them right there where you, where that little thing is right there in the, in the, in the good spot. <laughs> that thing with the place and the stuff. I don't know what you're pointing at. So <laughs> just read the instructions, go to the YouTube video. <laughs> kind of out of the blue here. Does, will masturbation help? And having better sex, if you're struggling. You need to learn what you like before you can tell anybody else what you, what you like. Okay. I'm trying so to remember. 
name of the character. He gave the best explanation for that. What was the character, the uncle in the, the show Weeds? Oh, 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 oh yeah. He was <laughs> masturbating. I guess he was masturbating into socks and he was flushing. Andy, Andy, like, Andy. Uncle Andy. What was his name, Uncle Andy? Andy. Hey, Uncle Andy, that was it. He gave the best talk ever. You can find that talk on YouTube. Talk, Uncle Andy's <laughs> masturbation talk. That explains it perfectly. Okay, <laughs> I remember that. He says there in, in the end, something like, hey, you, you get good with your solo, you'll have some good duets in the future. <laughs> <laughs> so true, so true. So we can't really talk about sex without talking about the risks. And some of those risks are STDs, HPV. Let's talk about that. So we touched on it a little bit. What is HPV? What is it's it? It's the most common sexually transmitted infection that we deal with as as a species okay they're somewhere between 80 and 100 hpv viral types probably a lot more than that actually yeah that we know of that we know of and the most important is that i think like ali wong said it best everyone's got hpv okay yeah. if, you're yeah. if you've had sex or you're having sex you've had hpv or you have it yeah. the actual number is 80 percent of yeah. every single one that was the, the rutgers US. study yeah. rutgers did a study it was over 80 percent of people had hpv or had had it they tested for antibodies and antigen that with that study and so my point is a lot of patients will kind of panic now there's enough info out there but patients would come panic i have hpv well, i think they have general warts yeah that's the thing right because we're talking right. there's two different themes of this strain, one that caused genital warts that you classically think of HPV or the other type that we're getting more and more detail is the microscopic. You don't see it. You don't know it's there. It just causes this microscopic change to your cervix over time. And, and well, mine is usually not, oh, I got warts. It's I have this now. Did my husband cheat on me? Mm. Right. Right. And yeah. And having to talk them off the ledge of that, it can be quite it's frightening. And it's it's difficult because with as with some other viral infections, it can harbor a while. The average human body will get rid of HPV. Their immune system will get rid of that that virus in two to three years. It's gone. OK. And some of the changes, uh, even mild dysplasia, which is the condition we worry about that HPV can cause. It's like pre-cancer. Mild dysplasia, 80 percent of mild dysplasia will go away on its own. And that's why we're a lot less aggressive with mild abnormalities okay. on the pap smears than we used to be. We used to be much more aggressive. We found out now that we've kind of learned the pathophysiology of HPV and that it's this long term disease, typically from when the first cell goes haywire from HPV to invasive cervical cancer is somewhere between seven and 12 years. That There's obviously exceptions. Depending on which type of Yeah, there's exceptions to that. But I think that um, I, I, I loved it, too, because, you know, hey, wh why don't guys get it? What's the deal with the guys? Well, the guys can get the warts, but they don't get the cancers that females get. Now, there has been a lot of talk, especially with I think Michael Douglas came out and said, look, you know, this is underreported. And he's, he's correct. It's, it's definitely under underreported. There's a huge association of HPV related disease with pharyngeal cancer, throat uh, and esophageal right, cancer right. associated with HPV. And so it does affect guys. And, and the big thing when the vaccine came out, everybody's like, well, hey, this is the first time in history where we're vaccinating a male who's just a vector for the problem. And so you're giving it. There was a medical ethics issue initially with that. But then when you look at it, hey, that's why they threw in the, the type six and 11, which covers the warts, because now you can't really make a case for that because it does cover the warts. And I don't know about you guys. I hardly ever see uh, venereal warts. Yeah, and when I started in practice, when I came here in 2005, Every single week, almost, I would see a patient with venereal warts. It is the you want to talk about vaccines working. That's one where it did work because you vaccinate the, the high risk population before they start having sex. You can really wipe out some of these viral types. And I that's think what they've done. One thing going back to what Dr. Mallory was saying, you know, asking, did my partner cheat on me or this kind of thing? Well, 
I think one of the things is once you get exposed to HPV, it technically can go and it hides away in your dorsal root ganglion for mm-hmm. your entire life. Now, when you have your body can fight off that infection. Reasons you couldn't have known that you had it previously is number one, it's kind of newer technology in the last five years where we are testing a lot more for HPV, whereas previously we only looked for the cell itself. So number one, you could have had it earlier. You just didn't know that you had it. Or number two, there could be some kind of infection or something and it's kind of represented itself as well. We know initially it was transmitted by sexual intercourse, right? But it's not necessarily... You, ha- you didn't have it in the past. You have it now. Somebody absolutely treated on you. It's a skin contact. You can't get it from a toilet. toilet okay. From a toilet seat. Yeah. Okay? Well, yeah. There, there, there's a, a rumor all cut off right there. Most STDs you cannot get from a toilet seat. Yeah. Bacteria okay. Bacteria. <laughs> so what do you... Or trichomonas. Always you can. Trichomonas yeah, 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 is probably yeah, the only yeah, one because it can, it's actually a parasite rather, a protozoan, and it can live in a little puddle, but but the rest of them can't. Who's can't. sitting on a wet toilet seat? Oh, but you never know. <laughs> this is a pretty rough toilet. I love Dr. Mallory. I really do. So let's talk about what you do for HPV or general rewards. I mean, not compound W, right? No. No. For venereal warts, you know, if we do get patients that come in, if they're small, these can be treated with a type of acid where we just put a little acid on there and they can go away. There's also okay. a, a medication that's a, a lotion that can be applied and it's called Aldera. Can you say imiquimod? It's like yeah. one of the most difficult. They always make the generic very difficult so that you'll use the, the regular really one. Well. Use the, uh, the, the brand name. But yeah, that works really well. And it's especially for larger areas. And then there will be some cases where you just want to you just remove it. Because it's so big. Because it's a big area. So you excise it? It's just a surgical? You can excise it. Yeah, mm-hmm. okay. You can either do excision or laser. Okay. Okay. And that's that's warts. If you're talking about microscopic HPV related disease, these are that goes into the pap smear discussion. Okay. And that's okay. a whole different podcast of management of abnormal pap smears. Okay. So STDs, AIDS and HIV are still out there. Gonorrhea, syphilis, what else? We're not supposed to be saying STDs anymore. Oh, uh, we aren't. Yes, it makes people feel like they have They're a now sexually transmitted infections. They have infections. Okay. STIs. STIs. Well, that's good to know. Infection. Okay. Well, well STIs for sure is going to be gonorrhea and chlamydia. That's okay. going to be definitely the most common infections that we're seeing out there. And in overarching, chlamydia was usually the number one culprit, but we are seeing a rise of gonorrhea now. Mm-hmm. Okay, and, and how those do, are of course how treatab- are they treated? Treat, uh, treatable with an antibiotic. The okay. one that you know is the nightmare because there's really not a cure so much as there is treatment is herpes. Herpes is still very, very common. We see primary herpes outbreaks frequently. I still okay. probably at least. Once, once or twice a month, we'll see one. So, And now for gonorrhea and chlamydia, if they test positive for gonorrhea, they are telling you to go ahead and treat them for chlamydia as well, because sometimes they have co-infections. Another one is trick. Oh, trichomonas. Trick, trick, okay. That's the parasite he was saying. Yeah, it's a pro- get, protozoan. Yeah. Okay. You can get, um, they're, the most fun, they're the most fun to look at in the microscope. They are. Though. I was yeah. like, hey, guys, come look at this. Come look at this. Because <laughs> they... They're, they're named after if you, the, the Latin for trick means hair, and they have three little hair-like flagella, so they you can actually see them swimming around on the oh, microscope. Oh, wow. They look like really large sperm. sperm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So uh, what can you do about that? Antibiotics. Antibiotics. Yeah. Okay. Metronine is all the typical antibiotic that's used. So th- if you had any advice, if, if just go see a doctor. If you suspect something, don't wait and don't continue to have sex with somebody or everybody. That's and a big even after you get treated, yeah. please get make sure they get tested and treated. And another thing, just Rayanne, is we get patients will fuss at us sometimes because they'll say, "I got a yeast infection. I know, I know uh, this." Is 
I don't need to come in for exam. I got, I'm at work and I, and they just want to get me prescribed, you know, Diflucan. Well, the reason we want to bring you in is because I can't tell you how many times patients have thought they had a yeast infection when it, there's really something else going right. on that, that has to be tested and diagnosed. Otherwise, you're just throwing medicine at a problem that's not the correct medicine for it. So, Is AIDS and HIV still still big or are we seeing fewer? Hardly I, seeing I have any, hardly right? seen. That's our community, though. There are, there are communities, particularly in the bigger cities. New York, where I trained in Jacksonville, was an extremely high uh, HIV population. And, but even in those populations, it's gone down significantly. And I would tell you the biggest reason for that, and I'm not an HIV AIDS expert, but I'll tell you, it's pretty obvious that the biggest reason is that the medications have gotten so good yeah. that the they've now uh, have the ability to suppress the virus to such a low level that even when patients are having unprotected, that it's more difficult, I'm not going to say impossible, but more difficult to spread. And I'm, I'm not by any means telling people not to lower their guard on that because this is, this is more of an observation, but you're still absolutely at risk, even if a patient's on medications, even if they tell you their viral load is low and it was undetectable the last time. It doesn't take but a few of these viral particles to get into your body to cause an infection. So, And also, too, now they're starting to do prep where the partner can take meds to prevent transmission. Oh, okay. With HIV going down, we're definitely seeing a lot more hepatitis C, which is going up. We're seeing that a lot, lot more. But now now there's treatment for that. Exactly. Mm -hmm. That's why I wanted to bring it up is because it used to be, once you had it, you kind of dealt with it. And that was kind of a, we just monitor your your levels forever. But now there's actually treatment for hepatitis C. And they're seeing some pretty fantastic results. Um, That's so so amazing. That's hepatitis C now. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now that there's treatments available and they're, and, and they're actually curative treatments. So it's not just a treatment that's going to sort of like, like, for example, for herpes, we do, we give antivirals that will suppress it, suppress it but, but not still, take it away. can still have an outbreak down the line. They're actually curing hepatitis C. Yeah, I've had, I've had some patients where at one point I saw them, they had it, and then they come back in for another mm-hmm. pregnancy and it's gone. Yeah. And, it, and hep C is a little scary from a surgeon standpoint, because we deal with this, uh, you know, we get a needle stick or a... Right. Or we, ourselves during surgery. Hep C was to me the biggest nightmare of those because I read a study and it looked at the number of viral particles needed to infect you. Believe it or not, HIV, I think was actually pretty, pretty high. It was like 4,000 something viral particles and Hep C was 300. Wow. It was like just much smaller number of viral particles that need to get in your body that could actually cause the infection. So, but, but once again, I think we're seeing less of that now. Okay. Well, so much to talk about. We'll be back for uh, part two of the sex episode. <laughs> couple of rumors out there. Too much sex stretches your JJ out. No. No. In fact, I would, I would argue almost yeah, the I mean, opposite yeah, because it's, when you it's baby, orgasm, man. you're contracting. Yeah. You're, you're okay. So you're working so, your muscles. You know, too many babies will definitely stretch your <laughs> Okay. Too many babies. So what, what do you do about that? If you've had, I mean, you know, I've heard of surgical procedures that help that, that but that is a whole episode because okay. there's a lot of things we do. They're both surgical. There's there's surgical. There's non-surgical. Mm-hmm. There's uh, pelvic floor therapy. There's a lot of things we do for that. That what you're talking about falls into a category of what's called pelvic organ prolapse. And I think we should okay. definitely devote yeah. a future episode to that. We will. Okay, I have one more rumor. I hate to use this phrase, but I'll start with female ejaculation, also known as (laughs) squirting. Is it real? You know, it's funny you should ask this. Oh, sweet Jesus. Because (laughs) I think it's the most common 
question I get via text from people I went to high school and college with. Oh, no way. No, I'm a gynecologist. No I way. Get this I, get from my guy friend. I, get, I, I was going to say, it's got to be from a guy friend. Girls know the answer. They'll text me out of the blue. Is this real? Is female ejaculation real? <clears throat> and if you look at what's they've, they've actually looked at this and most often in the in the adult film industry, a lot of that that the people are seeing is actually urine. Urine. It's urine. Now there are glands. There are these little glands called the Skeen's glands that are up near the urethra that have little openings, and there's a moderate amount of fluid that can be secreted. Those are lubrication uh, secretions, by the way, that just that happen intercourse. when not you have intercourse. Yeah. It's yeah. not the amount that that people see in some of the the, the, the okay. adult film. Industry. Yeah. Okay. So here's the question: is 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 it actually you know? Are they doing it on purpose or is it real? Now, you could think if you have a woman that's had several kids before, orgasm, tense pelvic floor contraction, could she leak, leak some urine? Absolutely. That, that's mm-hmm. definitely within the realm of possibility. Yeah. But you're certainly not seeing this shooting halfway across right. the room, yeah. you know, stuff that's going on. That's that's not. What's it. your take on it? Yeah, what do you now? think? Is the solo female She's in the group? Yeah, exactly. Let us, let us men stop talking about squirting. and you give us the expert opinion. <laughs> Possibly, but I agree. I don't think she's flooding like glacier <laughs> amounts of fluid because if she's doing that, something's wrong. But I can see it happening. A really strong pelvic contraction with orgasm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, something might come out, but not like what you see on porn. I don't yeah. think she's going to squirt out cups. Yeah. Well, we know that there's lubrication happening and that's probably all part of it. I, I'm going to keep my own personal experience out of it, but I'm going to say yes. That's all I'm going to say. It is possible. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> For awesome. closing out the show, the we first episode or this first, first part, thing. part one of the sex episode. <laughs> oh, all right, I guys. I love the show. It Can't is so much fun. Part two. We'll be back. Thanks for joining me today, my wonderful, magical team of magicians. It's a pleasure. Thanks for joining us for this episode of The Vagicians, where we answer the questions you may be afraid to ask. A little legalese for you. The physician hosts of this podcast are actively practicing doctors in the field of obstetrics and gynecology. They are all three licensed to practice medicine in their respective state and are either board certified or board eligible within their specialty. This podcast is for entertainment and education only. Any content from this program should not be considered official medical advice, and listening to this podcast should not by any means be considered a legal patient-physician relationship. If you have a medical issue worthy of discussion on this program, you should seek immediate medical attention with the physician of your choice. The Vagicians is made possible by our generous sponsors. All About Women OBGYN, with a mission to promote, protect, and restore health in women's reproductive systems and a legacy that spans greater than 50 years, you can trust all your women's healthcare needs to All About Women OBGYN. Healthy Start Coalition of Bay, Franklin, and Gulf Counties. Healthy Start's mission is to promote healthy pregnancies, babies, and families by providing services and facilitating access to resources through community partnerships while advancing racial equity and cultural responsiveness. Emerald Coast Obstetrics and Gynecology. Offering a dedicated medical care team, Emerald Coast specializes exclusively in women's health services in Panama City, Florida. And Panama City Surgery Center. Located in Panama City, Florida, 
The Surgery Center offers top medical specialties and services in one convenient location with minimally invasive outpatient procedures to get you back to normal life quickly. The Vagicians Podcast is produced by host Rayanne Thorne Kruger. Our editor is Igor Kuzmanovsky, with Ike Isabella as our announcer. And finally, a special thanks to our spouses, partners, and families for their support, ideas, and feedback. <laughs>